Welcome to the Simply Be Podcast, a branding and lifestyle podcast for those who seek to make massive change in their life and their businesses by creating a stronger connection with what makes you, you. I'm your host, Jessica Zweig, personal branding expert and founder of Simply Be. And through these conversations with my incredible guests and my own life experiences, I'm going to show you that the secret to developing a brilliant brand and a kick-ass life isn't more doing. It's more being. Let's dive in. This is a Soulfire production. You're listening to the Simply Be podcast, episode number 113. Well, hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the show. It's officially May. It's a new month. It's a new be intention. It's a new vibe. It's a little crazy that it's May. Wait, actually, like, what the fuck? This year is going by even faster than 2020 did. I mean, I know 2020 felt like it was 57 months long, and in a way, it was, but it, it did definitely fly that year as crazy as it was. But I honestly think that this year, this year is more intense in my, in my view. I think we all had these hopes that, you know, 2021 being over, that 2021 was just going to feel a lot lighter. And I don't know if it's, I'm not saying it's been a bad year or a good year. It's just been an intense year. It's an intense time. I actually heard recently from a healer friend of mine that if you are a light worker, which you are because you're listening to the show, if you are an empath, if you are a person who exists more in the, you know, 5D consciousness, more of this love, higher frequency, that you're actually going to be feeling more anxiety and more intensity and potentially more darkness than you ever have because the planet is shifting so severely right now in awakening, really, and awakening into a deeper consciousness, which is transformation, right? And transformation doesn't always feel good. It is actually sometimes very painful, right? It's the idea of the caterpillar who becomes liquid mush in the chrysalis before it becomes a butterfly. And I, you're probably listening to this. Let me like, Jessica, I've been feeling like fucking mush for the last year and a half. What are you talking about? <laughs> this isn't new. This isn't news to me, but personally speaking, it's just felt especially intense these last few, few months as we've entered into 2021. And here we are in May. Holy, holy crap. So just sending you all a bunch of love and light right now, as you navigate these unprecedented times in the best way that you know how, and that is all we can do. And that is the best we can do. And I'm just shining light on that and letting you know you're not alone. And I see you because I, I'm feeling it too. So let's talk about the month of May, y'all. You know that I do a theme, an intention, an energy, a focus each and every month here on the Simply Be podcast. We were exploring being seen last month. We've explored the intention of integrity, of being your brand, of being launched, of being clear. And this month, we are exploring what it means to be a thought leader. I've talked about this actually quite often on the podcast. And just this real distinction of what thought leadership versus having social media influence really looks like. Personally speaking, I think that the pursuit of being a thought leader is a much more fruitful endeavor than trying to become a social media influencer because thought leaders leave legacies. Thought leaders create true impact in the world. Thought leaders change the way people think and run their businesses and create their lives. And social media, of course, is a powerful tool to increase your awareness, to power potentially your influence. But I really believe that the pursuit of building a personal brand at the end of the day, the North Star of that is to be a thought leader, is to change the world, to change the world with who you really are. And who you really are is steadfast. It is ever evolving at the same time. And it is whole. It is real. It has depth. And social media is a fraction. It's a glimmer. It's a highlight reel. 
And so I wanted to bring on people this month that I feel are really, really changing the world, who are leading new forms and ways of thinking. That's why you will be called a thought leader. And so typically the first episode of every month where I announce the theme is a solo episode where I really digest what this month is going to look like and unpack it. But I wanted to switch this up actually this month and just bring on the ultimate guest to kick this month off to really demonstrate thought leadership in action. That is my guest today, Rachel Rogers. I am so freaking obsessed with her. And this conversation is so important from beginning to end. So I really hope that you stay through the whole conversation and really hear what she has to say and how we unpack why women all need to be millionaires, but really our time to step forward in the space of social media and digital marketing and awareness and, and what a profound responsibility that I believe we have as white women to create more authentic space and conversations, to take responsibility, and to at the same time be kind, be real, be firm, but be kind. So Rachel Rogers is the founder of a company called Hello7. Hello7's mission is to help you make more money. They teach you how to increase your income, build wealth, and earn seven figures per year without sacrificing your family, health, or sanity in the process. She's a mother of four. She's been featured in publications like Time, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, and The Washington Post. And her new book, We Should All Be Millionaires, launches today. You guys, today is her pub day. Today is her pub day. As someone who just launched a book, you guys go out and buy her book today. Make that a thing you actually do. Spend 25 bucks, buy it on Amazon or support your local bookstores or whatever it is. Even if it's 30 bucks, just buy her book. Make sure that you support authors. It starts right now. I cannot tell you how important it is to click buy on pub day to get a brand new, she's a first time author, just like I was, that really truly makes an enormous difference in the success of someone's book. And just like me, she poured her whole heart and soul into her book and it took her years to develop. And today is her moment. And I'm so freaking excited to bring her onto my show kicking off this month of May, this theme of being a thought leader, walking the talk the way that she really has. She's got such an incredible story, an incredible background, so inspirational. She talks about what it really looks like to not only build a business that creates seven figures, but how to live like a millionaire, whether you are or you are not, to increase the energy and frequency of abundance in your life. This episode is so filled with nuggets of gold, gold, gold inspiration and wisdom. You are not going to want to miss a minute. So I'm going to stop talking. And without further ado, welcome our very first guest in the month of May, kicking off being a thought leader with the incomparable, brilliant, thought leading, (laughs) incredibly powerful, Rachel Rogers. Rachel Rogers, girl, today. I'm dropping this podcast on May 4th. Today is your book launch. Today, We Should All Be Millionaires is live and in the market. So go buy it right now. Stop this podcast, pause it real quick and go buy this girl's book because it's going to change your life. Meeting you and getting connected to you. You know, I found you last year in 2020. You did a video on Marie Forleo and I was like, I like like her. (laughs) I was very... (laughs) moved by your message and have been following you along ever since. And I just think that the work that you, that you're doing in the world, not just with your book, we should all be millionaires, but hello seven, the work that you're doing for black women. I just think that you are the future and so, so brilliant and so needed. And I learn from you every day. Well, thank you. 
It's so true. It's so true. I'm so honored to have you on my show. I was on your show. It was a, it was an honor to be on and your show. And everybody loved that episode, by the way. I got lots of DMs about it. So cool. <laughs> I had a lot of DMs from your community coming over to me saying, awesome. I heard it. Thank you. I mean, it made me so happy. <laughs> and, you know, I, I want to really get to know your backstory a bit more because I know that you were formerly an attorney and now you are this mega successful entrepreneur making moves, launching books, like, but I want to know where it all started. Like, how yes. did you make the switch from lawyer to entrepreneur? Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Well, actually, it was pretty early on. So I worked, I went to law school and which was a traumatizing experience for me. Um, because you're just, I mean, it was not very, a very diverse environment. And I don't know, I feel like, and honestly, I think this is true for a lot of black women in the world, especially in professional settings, we get held to a standard that is higher than other people are being held to. And when I say other, I mean, mostly white people, (laughs) especially white men. So like, and I tell stories in this book about specific instances from law school where like my classmates were allowed to do whatever, but I would get reamed out by the professor for not, and I would be the one carrying the group, you know, um, and carrying the work. So it was not a good experience for me. It was kind of like, just get her done, just get it done and get out of here and get your law license and be done with this place. (laughs) So that was my experience. And then um, I went and clerked for a judge for a year, which was amazing. Um, shout out to Judge Farber in New Jersey. He's retired now, but he was an amazing judge. Um, and really, honestly, he probably like restored my faith in, in white guys because <laughs> he's an older <laughs> white man. And he was just very, I felt like he was a very fair and honest judge. And um, I learned a lot from him and I had a great experience working from him. But, but after that, I was like, who am I going to work for? Like, where could I possibly be happy in the law? You know, like law firms, I've interned there. That ain't it, right? Like I've tried, Mm -hmm. I tried lots of different settings and internships and things like that. And so I was just kind of like, I think I'm just going to go do my own thing and start my own practice. And so that's what I did. So literally I clerked for a judge for a year. And then the next thing I did was start my practice. So I became an entrepreneur pretty quickly um, and just ran a law practice for almost seven years. and served entrepreneurs. So I was mainly doing business law for um, entrepreneurs. That's so badass. You don't really hear that very often. You hear lawyers go into, you know, they graduate, they get into a firm, they Mm -hmm. pay their dues, they work their way up to partner after blood, sweat and tears. Like you just, you just like, I'm going to go start my own practice at how old were you? I was 27, 28, somewhere in there. That is a huge testament. That's huge. I've I've never heard of anyone starting a practice that quickly that young. Oh yeah, and oh oh, and I had a lot of backlash too. Like there was a certain group of um, white male lawyers who, and they were all criminal lawyers. Like they had nothing to do with the work that I was doing, but they all were like, "Who do you think you are?" Because I started getting a ton of press, like immediately. Because you know, you just don't see a lot of. First of all, it was a recession. This was too. 2009 that I graduated from law school. So 2010, when I started my law practice, September 2010. And, you know, not a lot of Black women lawyers starting their own practice straight out of law school, right? Without a ton of experience. Um, And also getting a lot of press for it because I was doing a virtual law practice because I figured out, oh, I don't have to have a physical office. I can actually work online. And this was all brand new. Now this is commonplace. Like everybody works this way. But back then it was unheard of and there were like maybe a handful of lawyers doing it that way. So I got a lot, I got trashed online a lot in that first year, which I'm now very grateful for because it made me incredibly resilient. You know, it it was just kind of like, when I say it, like, I don't give a fuck, I truly mean it. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm not just saying that. Like, I really don't internalize, especially people on the internet's opinions about me. Yeah, sometimes they sting for sure. Like I'm human, but. I feel like going through that right early on where it really it was it, it was really hard um but but moving through that and realizing like oh people's opinion is is just that people's opinions and I don't need to shape my life or change anything because someone has expressed an opinion even if it's a popular group of people with a popular blog and even if they're going to google you're going to google my name and see their stuff that they've written about me 
that's okay. Like I can, I get to keep going and I don't have to stop what I'm doing or change what I'm doing. And also all it did was just galvanize my people because a ton of young lawyers saw that. And they were like, no, you're our hero. You're showing us that in this job market where we can't find a job that we're excited about or that pays us well, we can start our own thing and you're showing us that it's possible. So like we, we stand with you, you know? And so I actually wound up finding my people by being hated on really hard on the internet. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I love that. I love all of that. That is such medicine for people to, to hear because I think yes. women in particular, we hold ourselves back from putting ourselves out there and going for it and playing big and taking risks for fear of everything you just explained. And you're here to stay. It doesn't kill you. It actually makes you stronger and you find actually more of your right people, the more bold and risky and true to yourself you become. And I fucking love yes. it. Exactly. Being yeah. true to yourself. I mean, that is, that is the key. And that's what I was doing at that time. Yeah. And you, and you still are. So <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about this transition from seven years running your own law practice to now being the, the founder of Hello7, teaching thousands of women all around the world, how to become successful, how to become profitable, how to become millionaires. What was what was that? Talk to me about that inflection point and how you went from that to this. So I was running the practice for a while and we were probably at around like 700,000 in annual revenue. So making good money. Um, and a lot of my clients were women entrepreneurs and they would come to me and say like, how are you making this much money? And like, teach me your ways. <laughs> right? And so I would charge them for the legal advice and give them the business coaching and like strategic business advice for free. Um, and then I started, and it was actually a coach that pointed it out to me. And she's like, hmm, you should probably be charging for that, all that business advice you're giving out. Um, and I was like, yeah, I think you're right, actually. And so I decided that I wanted to start like just dabbling with coaching. And so um, one of the attorneys that worked for me at the time, one of my associate attorneys, had a friend who was building a business. And her name is Lux ATL. She goes by stripper with a PhD. So immediately I was obsessed because I'm like, yes, this is my type of woman. Like she's doing her own thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, she had this like sort of feminist empowerment brand that she was doing. And mainly the way that she was making her money was doing workshops around the country, right? Like, so she'd have to leave her, her son and her family and like, travel around the country teaching these workshops and not getting paid very much. And she was still making, she was making okay money at the time. And so I was like, ooh, like I could coach her. So I decided to put an offer out. And so the attorney, Lauren, that used to work for me, connected me with Lux and we it hit it off immediately. Um, and so we decided to work together. So I coached her for six months and I think it was six months, might've been a little longer, give or take, and helped her business grow exponentially. And she told everybody and she had a big audience like this woman is badass. And so um, she had a big audience. And so that audience then started coming to me and like, hey, can you, can you coach me too? And I really enjoyed the coaching so much. And it was not like, what, here's what I learned running my law practice. I really love running a business, managing a business, learning how to generate more revenue, the excitement of it, the creativity um, I didn't love practicing law. It was just the th thing that I sold, right? And so I hired associates. I hired people to kind of do that work so I could be the rainmaker, bring the money in um, and manage the business. And so once I started coaching people, I realized like, oh, that is, that's the thing I want to sell because it's so much fun. And it's, it, then I get to nerd out on business all day long, you know? Um, and so I just started coaching other people and offering way too many things. I mean, I was like, let me do a VIP day. Let me try a retreat. Let me try this six month coaching package. Let me try this four month. Let me try the, all these one-on-one -on -one things. And then I just got way too busy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's time for me to choose. I have to choose. Like, am I going to continue this law practice? Cause the coaching, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm making some money, but the law practice is where most of the majority of my income is coming from. And I'm the sole breadwinner for my family. So I don't get to just shut it down and just do what's fun, you know? Um, totally. And so that transition probably took me like a good two years of like revving up the coaching, winding down the law practice. Um, and then I was able to just, you know, coach full time. And what I saw was a gap in the marketplace because there was all this coaching and all this training for women that's all about hitting six figures. 
And I'm like, I've been there, done that. And I can tell you right now, six figures is not that much money, right? Especially when you're running a business, you have business expenses, you want to pay a team, all of those things. And I was like, 100K, 200K, it's not enough, right? Um, And so I'm like, why is it more people teaching about building a million dollar business for women specifically? And there was just nothing. And so I'm like, I can fill that gap. And I mean, I had searched for it because I wanted to know because I was close to a million. And I'm like, I want to get to the other side. There was no training out there. And, and the training that was there, it's, it's like you got to go into these sort of really bro environments that are, are not comfortable, especially as a black I would be the probably one of four women and the only black woman when I would go into these environments, mm. which I did. Um, and so I was like, this is, a, this is a gap in the marketplace that I can fill. Wow, brilliant. And that was the dawn of Hello 7. Was that what you called it from the, from the get-go? Hello 7 figures, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I Genius. mean, there, were, there was different things that we played around with, but I wanted something that, I wanted a brand that would have legs and that would last. Because I did IP, right? I was an intellectual property lawyer. That's mm-hmm. most of what I was doing for business owners. And so I understand IP. I understand that it is the lifeblood of our businesses. And so I wanted to make sure this brand was something that in a decade, it'll still sound cool, you know? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I do branding, you know, that's what I do. And yes. I'm like all about your, your brand is beautiful. The photography, the fonts, the, the lettering, the color palette, the messaging, like it's the, the podcast, so the websites, your Instagram, like it all truly connects. I'm Thank interested you. Wait, in- I, Can I just say for your audience to know, it did not start out that way. It was probably but ugly in the beginning. <laughs> so just yeah. know that like, it was really dark. It was like this weird scripty font. Like it wasn't great. It's evolved. Yes. We all evolved. Yes. yes. I do For believe sure. like launch it, launch it ugly, get your money and then make it pretty, you know? <laughs> Amen. That's brilliant. If we're going to make that to my production team, like let's, that's a quotable from this podcast. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> so you have been doing Hello 7 for how many years now? So Hello 7 is four years old, I want to say. Four. I want to okay. say it's four years old, which is crazy to me that it's four years old already. I feel like I started it yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I get, I get it. I've, I've been doing Simply Be for about four and a half, two, and it just, it, it went like this. So <laughs> you are, you know, you have a membership program. I want to know more about the mechanics of your business, but actually let's talk about the million dollar month that you had in 2020. Yeah. I listened to your show. I listened to your podcast and you talked about how you made a million dollars in a month. And I know that that didn't happen by happenstance. You've worked your ass off. You built this community, but I would love to break down the anatomy of, of how you do make your money. Like what's your revenue model. And yes, I just thought that was such an aspirational data point. So if you can break that down of how you got there, I would love to know. And I know people listening would too. Well, I mean, I think it's, I feel like if you just stick with being consistent long enough, like luck will find you, you know, it's Mm. kind of like that. You just show up every day, keep doing the work. Even when you feel like nobody knows your name, no one cares about what you're doing, except the few people who are willing to pay you to do this work or the small group of people in your audience. And you just keep showing up for them and then they'll grow. They'll tell their friends. Um, And then one day something will happen that'll blow shit up. And that's essentially what happened is, you know, what happened was the murder of George Floyd that I was devastated by. And I think so many, the whole country was, right? Like it was kind of like a breaking point for us, like as a society, which is beautiful because, you know, Trayvon Martin wasn't a breaking point, which he should have been, right? Like, So, I mean, we have been experiencing this as a Black community like our entire lives from day one, like from the moment that you can understand what's happening or your parents can't shelter you from the news anymore. I remember Amadou Diallo in in New York. I remember the names of so many Black people who were mistakenly or, Mm -hmm. you know, really intentionally murdered by cops. And so this has been like, this is the culture that we live in, sadly. And so this happened and... The way my friend Erica Hines, who's a DEI uh, consultant, she put it, you know, Trayvon Martin was the one that radicalized her, right? And And I felt angry and deeply hurt by that and like have been over time. But I think George Floyd was the one that was like, you know, I don't give a fuck on a new level now. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm angry and ragey in a whole new way yes. that I didn't even know was mm-hmm. possible. Um, and so that's essentially what happened. And I was... 
And I was, so I'm watching this happen in, in the world and wa- staying up all night watching, tweeting about the protest and like trying to be helpful and pass information along as I'm seeing one thing and I'm tagging other people. And like, you know, just like basically watching what's happening um, in the wake of that um, and just being really worried about what is going to happen to these protesters. And then they're like, literally, you know, they set a police station on fire. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's all happening. And then I'm also, ta- you know, at the same time watching in the small business community that we exist in, watching people, like watching it spill over into that. And for, you know, different people who run different communities are not allowing the Black people who pay them money to speak about what they are experiencing and the pain that they are experiencing um, in those Facebook groups and stuff, like in their communities. They're like, well, we only talk about business here. This is not to have a conversation about race, right? And of course, right, there, there's Trump supporters. There's like, you know, people on different sides that are in some of these communities because that's where some of these entrepreneurs stand, right? And so they have mixed communities. They've got all... And so I saw a group of Black women that I'm like friends with some of them. And I saw a discussion happening where they were raging about what was going on in Marie Forleo's Facebook group. And I saw a couple of different, you know, things happening in other Facebook groups as well. And once they started talking about it and I could see that they were so upset and they were talking about it, but they didn't have the platform, right? Like they didn't, they weren't yeah. being seen by large groups of people. And I was just so mad. I wanted to give voice to them. And I wanted to make sure what was happening was being shared. And I also wanted to, I just needed to get it out. You ever have that moment where you just have something in you that like, I'm going to be bothered by it. This was a Saturday. Like <laughs> I was supposed to be hanging out with my kids. I was supposed to be sitting on my porch chilling. But I was just so enraged that I knew I had to get it out. Whatever this was that I had to say, I had to get it out so that I could just have peace, you know? Um, yes. And I really, to be crystal clear, I cared not about business consequence. I, I don't care about any of that. I'm going to say what I got to say and y'all take it however you're going to take it, right? <laughs> and so I just went live on my personal Facebook page, not intending for it to be anything viral. I really was trying to reach my friends, the people who call themselves my friends and my business peers. And I'm like, I need y'all to know that like, I don't like the message I'm getting from y'all right now because y'all don't seem like y'all are going hard for us right now. And I'm very upset about it. And if we supposed to be friends, this is fucking unacceptable. So I just said whatever I said. Who knows what I said? I wrote down notes because that's what I do. I know what I'm- you said. I watched, I watched your video like four <laughs> times, maybe, maybe more. I know what you said. But what I was really talking about is like, you know, the white liberals are the worst, right? They're the ones saying, yeah, like, yeah, we, we're not racist. We're this, we're that. But you don't give a fuck. You just post a black box or you say you're going to donate and move the fuck on. And I'm like, this is unacceptable. So I raged yeah. about that on video. For some reason, while I was going live, basically all my friends who also have audiences started spreading it. So, I mean, <laughs> thousands of people wound up on that live and then it got shared all over. And, you know, I was honestly, I was like, I didn't have a bra. I would have did my hair. If I didn't know that it was going <laughs> to be magic about that video. It was so authentic. You were sitting on your porch. You were like, you just were so in your rage and authentic. <laughs> And you weren't giving, you gave zero fucks. In fact, you gave a huge fuck about the thing you were talking about. And I, I had never heard of you before myself. And that's how I found you because someone (laughs) shared it. So many people found me from that moment. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm known for now. And honestly, that's exactly why I decided to do the small business anti-racist town hall, which we're going to do another one this year, like the anniversary of it and keep the conversation going. But I didn't want to be known for calling out Marie Forleo. And honestly, that video really wasn't meant to be about Marie Forleo. She was just the example that I was using, but I was really talking about a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And of course, you know, a lot of these entrepreneurs can do better. And I hope that that inspired some folks to do better. And I think it did. And I definitely, I mean, the publisher from HarperCollins, like the publisher, like the top person messaged me and was like, I saw your video and I got that message. And I'm like, I'm clear. And I was like, wow, you know, like that was amazing at HarperCollins leadership. Sorry. And, you know, I mean, it was, I got messages from realtors and like just people all over who were like, my cousin sent me this video, my sister sent me this video. So I'm glad that it had an impact. Um, But it also had an impact on my business because what happened is 
then it was like this huge amount of people that were like, they were demanding that we reopen our program. So we had launched the club like a month or so before that. We had like 300 people in it. It was amazing. And then all these people were like, reopen the doors. We want to join. Like we want to be in community with your people, right? We like, we appreciate that what you stand for. We want to learn business training from you. And so we were like, okay, after like days of this, we were like, all right, we're going to reopen the club. Like give us a week or two because we got to get our stuff together, you know? So we reopened it and a thousand people joined in 10 days. So we went from 300 customers to 1300 customers. And let me be clear. I literally broke my business. Like it was broken. (laughs) Get it. I'm sure it was. Every system, every process, everything that you have set up, it's like not ready for that influx and it all breaks. So like, I mean, I'm so grateful for every member of the team who was on the team at the time, because we all were working our asses off to like serve our people and like dropping balls elsewhere, but like really, you know, trying to deliver for, for our community and our program. (laughs) It's amazing. I love it though. I mean, you get, you still, you scaled like in a month, like that happened all within a month's time. Yeah. And so I started out 2020 as, you know, in 2019, we made $2 million. So we were a nice size business. Um, and, but we like, we worked hard to make that 2 million and we like eked out 2 million, right? Like it was a hustle to get there. And then we started off the year with like, okay, you know, really kind of planning and like now we're a $2 million business. We need to really change our structure, better systems, better processes. Like I already felt a change coming. And then the pandemic happened. We pivoted, we launched the club. And I mean, we ended the year as a $5 million business in like literally six months. We made millions of dollars. It was insane. But okay, so can I just say something? This goes back to what you shared earlier at the top of the episode when you were launching your law business and how you just did it, gave zero fucks, like you got a lot of hate, you know, whatever. But you also galvanized, you use that word, your people. And what you did in that moment, Rachel, with that video, because I was, I was a part of Marie Forleo's community and I was watching it go down and you took such a stand and, you know, whether it's on any sort of social or political issue or any issue that matters to you, what your beliefs are and your values are, when you are that embodied and authentic, there's such power in that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting. You don't feel powerful in the moment because you feel like you're a mess. Like you're crying. Yeah. I kept crying. <laughs> I kept trying to pull it together. I know. I remember, I'm like, yeah. I'm laughing. I'm raging. <laughs> like, it's so funny. In the beginning of the video, I had like turned sideways and then I'm like, you can see me like turning <laughs> the camera. It was just such a hot, I felt like such a mess in that moment. But yeah, because yeah. of the authenticity to your point, right? You're actually really so powerful when you're being so honest, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I just, I really want to say, you know, I, I stood with you and obviously on so many, on so many levels, I, I will say this. And I was thinking about this before I, we recorded today, knowing you were going to come on my show. I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but you know, I, I look at women like Marie Forleo and I look at, at women like you know, Rachel Hollis. And there's just sort of this legion of white women who are at the top, quote unquote, that I don't believe come from a a wholehearted authenticity. And I Mm. don't think I will ever be as famous, quote unquote, as that personally. And it makes it, I take it so personally as a white woman, witnessing white women at the top being that irresponsible and that Mm. phony, for lack of a better word. And it makes me so angry because it's such a privilege to have that level of visibility and platform and to not use it in the way that it needs to be used. Like I'm going to cry thinking about it and just how disempowered at times, like I feel, cause I don't have that microphone and yeah. sitting on the side of watching these women who do, who are just not showing up the way that mm-hmm. they, they really, they have a true responsibility to mate has honestly, I witnessed that. I felt that level of inauthenticity from a lot of them for a lot of years. Yeah. And when you came out and talked about it, yes, it was at a zeitgeist moment of like the George Floyd breaking point, which neat, like the, the narrative everywhere was incredibly important and powerful. You were addressing something that I think I had been seeing on a subconscious level that I hadn't been able to articulate 
yeah. and you did it for me. And I just thought it was, it was so incredible. And I don't even want to say brave because it wasn't like you were doing it to be brave. You were just doing it because you were being you, but yeah. I just applied to this day for that. And I am so happy for you that like it exploded your message and your business. Cause it's not even about those. It's about you and, and the work you're doing in the world and helping women become financially empowered. It's yeah. It's just me is, is a beautiful case study. And and like, I'm just so happy to be a part of your world. I know that sounds weird to say, but I, I really, <laughs> no, am. I appreciate I'm, that. I, all it's, it's really, that's from my heart. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know what it makes me think of? Lovey in her new book, Professional Troublemaker, she talks about, uh, she has a chapter on like failing, I think it's called Failing Loudly. And she talks yeah. about how she, as a Black woman with a very large platform, has failed publicly, right? Has like made a comment that, you know, uh, upset a lot of people. And she talks about in that chapter how her response to it was not what it should have been. And she didn't realize the responsibility that she had. And she couldn't just, I guess she could, right? Fly off at the mouth however she wants. But now she's realizing like in this, in this chapter, she's talking about how, you know, she has such a responsibility with such a large community that she's leading. And yeah. I, I feel like Rachel Hollis needs to re read that book. And I mean, and it's not just that, right? Because I, I think the reality is, is that people are showing up as, the, as who they really are. And that is who they are. And when people show you who they are, we need to believe them. And, and I think, honestly, I don't think Rachel Hollis lost a single follower from the backlash she experienced recently. And I'm not surprised, right? Because I think the people who resonate with her message and who don't care about some of the ways that we feel it's very irresponsible, like those are her people and that's fine. Y'all do that over there. You know, <laughs> like yeah, our people are 100%. different people, right? And so, yeah. that, I mean, go do your thing. And the other thing I will say that does trouble me and that I do notice is that we love to trash women online, especially highly successful women. And I know, I mean, I could be accused of doing the same thing. My intention was never to trash Marie Forleo. And I will say too, whenever you see me comment, on other people's stuff. It's always on the behavior. I'm not attacking the person as a human. I never say she's ugly and her hair look like this and she shouldn't be doing that. Like, I don't get into any of that because I actually don't believe any of that, right? Like it doesn't, that's irrelevant, but I always attack the behavior specifically. What is the problem here, right? And I notice that we love to attack successful women. And I, and I think I, it's concerning to me because I'm teaching women and other folks how to become successful and that is part of it. Like you will get hate as you get bigger. And there are, so, there are lots of white men who are probably far more irresponsible than Rachel Hollis is who don't get the backlash that she has experienced recently. So it's almost like, uh, first of all, I think what she said, and I do believe that she really believes that is absolute trash, you know? And at the same time, I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, you know what though? Like, why do we love to put women on a pedestal and then knock them right off. And there's whole books about this phenomenon in our culture that like yeah. we really give women such a harder time than we give men who do the exact same things, if not worse, right? We don't trash their careers over it. We let them get a pass, but we don't let women. So I just think it's something to be conscious of and just to be noticing those things as we you know, experience like holding people accountable and the the social comp commentary that happens on social media. We just have to be conscious of the patterns that we're seeing as well, you know? Totally. I'm so glad you shared that. That's amazing. That's a necessary nuance to exactly. this conversation. Yes. Really it is. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I want to talk about your book because it's out today. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I, I'm so excited to read it called We Should All Be Millionaires. Fuck yes. The title alone <laughs> is like a bestseller and everyone go pick it up. And I know, you know, just in the, in the final few minutes that we have, you talk about from, I haven't read the book yet, but I know from your work, you talk about broke ass decisions and million dollar decisions. Can you just on a, on a tactical level, just some fun, practical tips for the audience? Like what in your book, literally and figuratively, what's, what's, what's an example of a broke-ass decision and what's a million-dollar decision? Yes. Okay. So a broke-ass decision is uh, doing your own laundry every week. 
that's a broadcast mm. decision, for example, rather than sending it out to like a drop off service for 50 bucks and saving yourself four to six hours of like paying attention to laundry when you could be resting and showing up on Monday ready to go. You know, it's just that's and I love that because it's such an easy gateway into outsourcing and building a team. I think especially as women, we think we have to do everything ourselves. That's what society tells us, right? Take care of the home. And yeah, oh, we know you work now too. But yeah, you should take care of the home still. There are statistics and I have all of these in the book, but there's a stat that even breadwinning women, so even the women that bring home the majority of the income for their families still do more than their spouses do in terms of the domestic labor. It is outrageous, right? And so I'm saying to women, yeah, no, we're not doing that. We're going to reclaim our time um, and we're going to do things differently. So making a broke-ass decision is those kinds of things. It's where you're required to shrink, where you're required to do too much with too little right? Where you're not able to really see your full potential. You're not investing in your own future, right? And million dollar decisions are expansive. They bring on abundance and becoming a millionaire requires you to make million dollar decisions. It's sort of the way to becoming a millionaire is paved with million dollar decisions. And so one of the chapters, and honestly, I think this is the most most important chapter in the book is about how to make those million dollar decisions on a everyday basis. It's not just the financial decisions you're making. It's the decisions you're making with your time, your boundaries, um, how you Mm. take care of yourself. There is so much that is involved with, you know, preparing yourself to build wealth and to become a millionaire. You got to be making those expansive, more abundant decisions. I love it. The mindset, it starts here. It starts with your self-worth. Exactly. Brilliant. When I was on your show, you asked me like, what are some of my like million dollar little luxuries or something? And I talked yes. about my favorite, ca- my favorite candles. And I, w- I want to know what those are for you. Kind of like, actually like break down your day for me. Like I want to know a day in the life of, of Rachel Rogers. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, my morning routine is kind of insane. Um, and I've never, I've never been a morning routine person. And I used to hate all the like, 23-year-old white boys who like write books or write blogs about here's the morning routine, you know, I seven could step. not agree more. <laughs> just like a hundred percent. Shut up. Okay. Shut up. Like <laughs> I mean, just throw kids in the mix and your morning routine is fucked, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> and you have like a couple of kids too. Yes. Not just like yes. one or two. You have I've, three. I have uh, one million, one million children. <laughs> <laughs> I have four. So um three little ones, uh, one who has grown. So Okay. So what I do in the morning is get up and I actually just chill for like 30 minutes and just do my own thing. Scrolling my phone, reading the New York Times, um, checking email. Like, I know you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to meditate or whatever. That's not what I do. I spend 30 minutes just kind of like seeing what's going on in the world, being alone with my thoughts, whatever, not being talked to by anyone. (laughs) And I go to like a separate part of my house. So like, I can't be found. No one talked to me. And I switch it up because sometimes my children like, find my hiding spot, then I got to switch it up. (laughs) Um, And I'm real quiet. Usually this is before my kids wake up. And then I will work out. Either I'm doing Pilates. I do Pilates twice a week uh, with a trainer and like over Zoom. I bought a reformer on Craigslist because I used to go to Pilates studio. And then COVID happened. And I was was watching Craigslist like a hawk for six months until I (laughs) Hell yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> so I have a reformer in my house. I do Pilates. Um, on the days I'm not doing Pilates, I do like running or spinning, most usually running on the Peloton treadmill. Peloton is like my, I love it. I it's, see that. It's yep. amazing. It really helps a lot. <laughs> uh, manage the crazy in my brain. And I listen to the most ratchet, offensive hip hop that I can find, you know, while I run. <laughs> So just so y'all, y'all should know that about me. I'm definitely listening to highly offensive music every day. <laughs> and it's sometimes amazing. I'm like, I really don't agree with these lyrics, but damn that beat just hit, you know, and I need that. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's what I do. And then I have breakfast with my family. So we sit down, we have a chef. She comes in, she makes breakfast every morning. So we just sit amazing. down and eat. I eat the exact same thing. Grits, eggs, and fruit every single morning. <laughs> There's like, occasionally I'll steal some bacon from one of my children, you know, or have a little toast, whatever. But it's just like, it just makes it easy to not think about it. And it does the body good. 
good protein. I'm straight for the day. So, so that's what I do. And then, you know, sometimes I have to, there are some days where I take care of the horses. So I'll come up here, feed the horses. Um, and then I shower and start my meetings for the day. And I meet with my leadership team. That's the first thing I do in the morning every day for 30 minutes. Um, and then get on with my day. So like, that's what the routine looks like in the morning. And then every day, of course, it's like meeting with the team, doing podcasts, um, creating, doing some creation. Usually it's in community though. Um, taking breaks. Like I always take a a lunch break every single day. So yeah, I'm into, I'm into eating and taking a break. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's it's, you bring up a really good point. Like most busy entrepreneurs, myself included, don't take lunch breaks. Like the concept of that doesn't always apply, but I'm, I'm happy to hear you do it. And I will try to take a page from that book. It's inspiring to hear that, you know, we don't chew our food. Like we're working and like eating at the same time. It's 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 so unhealthy for us. Yeah, and and let true. me tell you something. Let's be honest. There is a time and a place where you just have to hustle. Like there are certain sections of this entrepreneurial journey, particularly hitting that six figure mark. When you're in that hundred to 200 range, you working harder than you ever worked in your life, right? Trying it's to keep so it all true. afloat. You need a team, but yep. can't afford a team yet. You know? Um, so there yeah. are times for hustle. Trust me, I have absolutely hustled over the years. And now I'm kind of like, yeah, time to turn that off. And, and even mm. with this book launch, I'm working more than I normally would with a company this size. Like once you, here's the good news. When you build a large, like a successful business, as you keep building it, you work less and less. You hire a team, they're doing the work better than you. And you're just showing up to like coach and support the team. And like, Hey, where do you need me? My team is like, I need you over here. I need you over there. I don't dictate my day. They tell me what to do. I look at my calendar like, what do I need to do? Okay, great. And I go do those things, you know? And then at five o'clock, I'm done. I go sit down and eat dinner with my my family. And then we do whatever. Some nights it's like, we're hanging out and playing a game together or watching a show together. And some nights they want to go do their own thing, the kids. And, you know, my husband and I will just hang out. Some days I get in the hot tub or I get in the steam shower. <laughs> You know, uh, if I'm like, I need no one to talk to me for like 45 minutes, you know, <laughs> I understand. I feel that way every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I really do. that's what the days look like. And it's great. I mean, honestly, here's the thing. I lie in bed a lot of days and just I'm like, I'm so happy, you know, and I just want to mm. acknowledge that for myself, just to remind myself, like, I'm definitely about making millions. Right. But I think the other, like once you're making a certain level of income where you're comfortable and you're not stressed out about money, which is what I want for everyone. Um, you know, you, you can do fun projects and you can give away money. Like there's so many great things you can do as you make more money, but it doesn't in and of itself make you happy. So like, you really do have to take care of yourself. You have to prioritize your own mental health. Like my, the money doesn't make me happy. Like my happiest moments are like sitting on the couch with my kids and like my husband and just chilling, doing nothing. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so magical. You know? (laughs) So yeah, I do. You're no, you're magical. And what you just said, I love the way you broke down your million dollar day, your million dollar business, your million dollar lifestyle, because it's not what you would potentially think it is. Like you're, you're actually in this like really elevated. I I call it like a, like a goddess seat as CEO, just really in your worth and like delegating. And I love everybody from your chef to your team, you know, to the way that you just really bookend your day with what matters in your life, your family, which brings you true happiness, not the money you're necessarily making, but you've worked for it, Rachel. And I just think that you are such an inspiration and such a case study and authenticity and really being of service. And as a result, being in in so much abundance from that genuine, authentic drive to just help people and you're doing it. And I just, I applaud you on so many levels and I'm so, so excited for you and your book to come out. I know, girl, I know what it's like write it, (laughs) launch it, bark it the fuck out of it. It's nuts. It's nuts. (laughs) And you're doing it. And today is your day. And I'm so honored that I get to drop this show on like your pub day. Like that's a big deal. And I'm just so happy that our teams made this magic schedule happen so that I could really, really truly cheer for you. And and when it really matters most. Um, So I want to, I want to ask you the final question before we, we close this incredible conversation which is the, the, the same question I ask every guest, which is just what do the words simply be mean to you? 
Mm. I think it means one. So I'll explain it this way. I got some advice as I was like embarking on writing this book um, from an author of fiction who said, write like nobody is going to ever read it so that you can be like really authentic in what you're writing down, you know, Um, which of course they didn't talk about like your fear of like, okay, now all the people going to know all my business when this book comes out, (laughs) right? Like that's the other side of that. But I love that so much. And I think simply be essentially means that, but just in your whole life, like just live like nobody's watching or judging you, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And like, you can be your full authentic self. Uh, I think that is where your happiness actually truly comes from when you just feel like you can be who you are in the world. Um, And yes, I mean, there are so many challenges around that, but I feel like as a black woman to be free, to wear my hair big, to like, say what I want to not be, I'm not a size four, right? Like I just, I'm existing how I exist and I'm good with it. And I kind of don't give a fuck about everybody's opinion, you know? And I think that is simply being, and I think that's where happiness comes from. That might've been one of my favorite answers ever <laughs> on the show out of Thank like a hundred plus episodes. I'm serious. <laughs> you're, you're a fucking light. You are just a like a, bright, sparkling light in the world. And you are going to just light up so many people with the book and with your work. And I just, I don't know. I just feel like you're just getting started. So thank (laughs) you for being on my show. I mean it. Where can people find you? Tell, tell them the things to follow you on social, get involved in hello seven. Just what are all the places? Yes. Um, so you can find us on hello7.co. If you want to get the book, go to hello7.co slash book. You'll see all the details we have a virtual book tour we're doing this week. So if you want to join us for one of those stops, first one is tonight. So you can join us for that. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Rach Rogers ESQ, Rogers with a D. Um, and I'm usually there being obnoxious and posting pictures. <laughs> I love following Rachel on Instagram. Go do that. She's, she's not, I wouldn't say obnoxious. It's just all, all, fully embodied in you giving zero fucks and and changing the world at the same time. So (laughs) thank you for for being on my show. Thank you for like spending your day with me. And and I know how busy this time is for you. So I'm sending you lots of book launch luck and love, and you're going to be amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, Hey, it's me again. If you loved this episode, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with all of your inspiring and authentic friends. And speaking of inspiring and authentic friends, have you joined the Simply Be Society yet? So look, in a time of so much loss, grief, and separation, I believe that community, service, light, and impact are more essential to the human experience than ever before which is why I created the Simply Be Society, my inclusive yet exclusive digital community, which is here to provide you with it all so you can build your most authentic business, brand, and life. Each month, you'll receive my virtual gift box, the Bee Box, filled with my expert branding lessons, private Spotify playlists, inspirational mood boards, plus access to my upcoming VIP events, chances to be featured on my podcast, y'all, and giveaways, lots and lots of giveaways. And best of all, you'll receive access to my private Simply Be Society Facebook group comprised of an international community of badass entrepreneurs, creatives, and leaders, all on a mission to bring more authenticity to their careers and thus the world. Registration to sign up for the society is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the Simply Be podcast, and I'll see you on next week's episode. Bye, guys.